That's good stuff. Man, wasn't that announcement lady hot? She's pretty. All right, everybody, let's open our Bible. Say word. I got a new Bible. Yeah, it's got that new Bible smell and everything. Is it big print? What's that supposed to mean? I got perfect vision, but it is a little larger, yes. We're opening our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study of this great gospel. Uh, The focal point, Jesus is king. Like if we walk out of our study of Matthew uh, with that in view, that he is the king. He is the king not only of all of creation. He is the king of our very life if we will surrender ourselves to his lordship. And uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. I'm going to read it, and then we're going we're gonna to look at it in context and take it apart. Uh, verse 14, Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often? Oh, <laughs> wow. Uh, but your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Uh, It's time to party. Uh, There will come a time, though, when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will be burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. That is the word of the Lord. Now, when Madeline and I first came to faith— We enrolled in a school uh, called the Horizon uh, School of Evangelism, and essentially it was a six-month program, and uh, every morning we would study from 8 to 12, uh, in-depth Bible study, and then we would do outreaches and and different ministry opportunities that were given to us, and it would all culminate in a one-month mission trip. Now, during the middle of the school, we took a week-long backpacking trip to Death Valley, and I don't know if you've ever been to Death Valley, but I can't think of a more dramatic and desolate uh, desert landscape uh, anywhere really in the world. I mean, it's just amazing walking through painted canyons and all that. And so we did a 26-mile loop uh, through Death Valley. Now, in the middle of our Death Valley excursion backpacking trip, there was a 24-hour period called a solo. And essentially what the solo was is you were given a, a little piece of real estate and you were supposed to stay there and, and pray and seek the Lord and read scripture and fast and, and, and really just spend time with God. And, and as we were going out for our solo, the, the leader of my group, Madeline, had this like amazing experience and her group was like all happy, our group not. Anyway, so the leader is, he's like leading and he goes, I got a special spot for you. And, and I remember thinking this ain't going to be good because I didn't get the impression that he liked me very much. And so we're walking and uh, he takes me to this little piece of dirt and, and no joke. I mean, it's probably the size of the stage, maybe like a little bigger. And he sets up four rocks. And this is like my rock boundary. And he says, you can't go beyond these ba- this boundary. And just keep in mind, I'm surrounded by like sweeping desert mountains and valleys and literally wild mustangs, like wild horses running free. And he's like, you got to stay in this box. And you know what? For years, 
For years, I believed that God put me in that box. I believed that that was God's working, that I was supposed to stay within the rock boundary. But I've come to discover, as I look back, I don't believe that was the Lord at all. I believe that was fully man. It was man who set up those boundaries. See, I was made to run and to climb those hills and to run with those wild mustangs and to explore and to enjoy my father's heart, to literally chase after the heart of God and not stay within the box. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I think some of us can maybe relate to this a little bit. Maybe your box is different. Maybe it isn't just a piece of dirt. Maybe you grew up in the box of religion in the box of legalism. Maybe you grew up in the box of man-made traditions like kneeling, standing, a string of beads, ritualistic prayers. Maybe you grew up in the box of abuse and addiction. Maybe you grew up in this box where you were just constantly told you were nothing, you weren't going to amount to anything, so you just assumed that that's just the box you stay in. Maybe you grew up in the box of performance-oriented living where you're like your whole identity is like how you look and how you perform and are other people pleased? Striving for the A. Maybe you grew up in the box of unbelief where faith in Jesus was mocked or laughed at. Well, here's the thing. We have a tendency to stay in those boxes, but I'm so grateful that Jesus just comes in and he's come to blow up those boxes. Like he's just come to like blow them up. so that we literally can pursue the heart of our daddy, <laughs> the very heart of our father. Oh my gosh, we're going to talk more about that. Well, as we look at the life of Jesus, we see time and again through the Gospels, the religious were always trying to put Jesus in the box of man-made religion and tradition. We witnessed it last week as Jesus was sharing this, like, wonderful meal of celebration at Matthew's house, who literally had just left everything to follow Jesus, and it was a time of celebration. I mean, like, I remember, like, when, when I first gave my life to Christ, and I was like, I'll follow you anywhere. And there was, like, this joy and this passion and this excitement. And I remember Christians and even pastors coming up and go, hey, you got to be careful with that. That's a little too much emotion. You can't trust your emotions. We, we, we got to hold on. We got to set up some stones real quick because uh, you're talking crazy. And that's exactly what they were doing with Jesus. He's, there's this party, and, and it's filled. Like, literally, the, the house is filled with, with future kingdom citizens. And, and I love the, the list of people, right? Like, we're told that tax collectors and sinners, like a beautiful kingdom portrait of an incredible mix of people, like cultural scoundrels. You know, and as I think about that, I think there were thieves and liars, like strippers and used car salesmen, addicts and fall-down drunks, famous actors and actresses, crooked politicians, freshly released inmates, porn junkies, pool party gossips, gay and transgender people. Like anybody and everybody, you're like, nah, they're not welcome at the table of Jesus. They're literally not only welcome, but invited. And, and as I think about that, like, Jesus is sharing a communal meal. And that, like, stirs my heart. I'm like, invite them. Invite them all. 
Go out and invite the thieves and the liars. Invite the strippers and the used car salesmen. Invite the addicts and fall-down drunks. Invite the famous actors and actresses and, and recently released inmates. Invite the crooked politicians and the pool party gossips. Invite the gay and transgender people. Invite the lost and the lonely. Invite them all. Invite them to church. Do you know why the church is not filled with tax collectors and sinners like in the way that we're seeing in Matthew's gospel? Because they're convinced they're not welcome. And you know what? Religion says, well, they're not. I mean, sure, come as you are. (laughs) But don't stay that way. What about Mary Magdalene, who many believe was a prostitute? Uh, How about the woman caught in adultery or Matthew the tax collector, a crook? How about uh, Simon the zealot or Peter the denier or Paul the murderer or Chris the drunk or you? Bring them all that they may sit at the table of grace. And I think it's fascinating when you start talking this way, there's always somebody in the crowd that goes, yeah, but Jesus said, go and sin no more. It's like always got to be said. I'm like, why you got to say that? Well, because Jesus said it. Do you sin still? I always find it fascinating. Like the person that's always prone to point that out. Yeah, well, Jesus said, go and sin no more. I'm like, dude. There is, a, there is a heart that is being revealed, and it is the sin of self-righteousness. Because you got your stuff together. Well, Jesus said, go sin no more. I find it fascinating that we don't see Jesus saying that to this group of tax collectors and thieves sitting in a home. Don't you find that strange? It's almost like they were all welcome at his table as they were. Well, the heart of the Pharisee sets up a fence around grace to keep people from the kingdom. The Pharisees sneak into the party, attempt to set the boundary markers around Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, you're outside of the box. Uh, Verses 10 through 11, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. They were like, all together. When the Pharisees saw this, they couldn't believe it. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. I mean, this is the box mentality of religion. This is a very scary picture, by the way, because these Pharisees were steeped in biblical knowledge. They could walk some of our our great theologians. They could run circles around them through the Old Testament. I mean, they understood history and languages and traditions and the teachings and the doctrines. They were the spiritual teachers in the land of Israel, but they were so far from the very heart of God that instead of joining the party, instead of taking a seat at the table of grace, all they could do was accuse Jesus of breaking the law because godly people don't hang out with people like that. You know, talking about godly people, like quote-unquote godly people, but God does. Chew on that. Godly hang, God hangs out with the people that quote-unquote godly people don't hang out with. 
And we see that in the person and presence of Jesus. Certainly the kingdom of God is not for people like that. And then in verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go learn what this means. Oh, Pharisee, go back to school. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've come to call the right, not the righteous, but the sinners. And so these Pharisees, they had this incredible devout form of worship and sacrifices, and they would do all these things, these ritualized things, but it led them right away from the heart of God, and it led them to arrogance and prejudice and self-righteous. And so Jesus kicks over the boundary markers and declares, look, uh, these are the people I've come for. This is the kingdom of God. Well, then another group of religious dudes approach. I, I love this. They're accusing Jesus of being outside the box. It's hilarious because in one context, Jesus is accused of being a sinner or accused of sin because he's feasting with tax collectors and sinners. And then all of a sudden, a group of disciples of John come up and accuse him of sinning for feasting at all. You know what I mean? Because like I look at this, I'm like, he couldn't win. Oh, oh, well, you were feasting with the wrong type of people. Well, I can't even believe you were feasting. Look at verse 14. Uh, Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? These disciples of John the Baptist are those who had followed John into the wilderness for the baptism of repentance, but you know what? They stayed in the wilderness. And and in that, they remained in this box of religion and not a relationship with Jesus. And we read here that their role models were Pharisees. I just want to make this statement. Don't model your spiritual life after Pharisees. You know what I'm talking about? Don't model your spiritual life after Pharisees. These are the arrogant, prejudiced, self-righteous people who come in the name of Jesus, but then they heap burdens after burden after burden on people that they themselves don't lift. These disciples were witnessing something that troubled them. Jesus and his disciples were enjoying too much food. In their mind, godly people are supposed to fast, and they're supposed to fast regularly. In their, uh, in their estimation, a lot. And what's interesting is that their practice was not rooted in Scripture, but rooted in tradition. See, it is a tradition that stretched all the way back to the days of Ezra and Nehemiah that there were these times of fasting, sometimes two plus times a week where they would would abstain from food and they would fast. But here's what's crazy. The very traditions that were designed to lead them closer to God were the very traditions that were leading them away from the heart of God. I mean, think about this. Some of the very religious practices and traditions that are designed to lead people to God can be the actual practices that lead them away from the heart of God. The Pharisees were kept from the heart of Jesus, the heart of their heavenly Father, because they could not accept that God loves sinners. And now these disciples of John were being kept from the heart of Jesus and the heart of their heavenly Father because Jesus and his disciples didn't keep the rules. And we see this on display time and again in the Gospels. In one context, the disciples, the Pharisees, accused Jesus and his disciples of sin because they eat with unwashed hands. Just just humor me here. Flip over in your Bibles to Matthew 12. Well, let's make it Matthew 15. 
Then Matthew 12. Matthew 15, verses 1 through 2. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So this is crazy. This is like an 80-mile trip. They travel 80 miles from Jerusalem to Galilee. And like, what's the deep theological question? Like, what's the, the pressing matter that's on their hearts and their minds? They have the opportunity to literally ask anything they want to ask the Son of God. Like, he's literally there in his presence. The kingdom of God is there in their, in their presence, and they travel all this way. And what do they want to talk about? Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. I mean, that's how crazy religion is. That's how crazy religion, religious traditions are. I mean, I, okay, look, we, we sit around the table. We got a lot of boys. It never hand, hands are never clean, like, right? Like, there's times where I'll look over, and one of my boys is, like, licking their fingers, and it literally looks like they've been working on a carburetor or something. I mean, their hands are so dirty, which is a little gross. And I'm like, oh, man, you should really wash those hands. They're like, why? No, it's fine. <laughs> but that doesn't make them unholy. I mean, think about how crazy that is. On another occasion, now Matthew 12. Aha, I told you. Matthew 12, verses 1 through 2. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field. They're just enjoying a nice Saturday, pleasant little stroll. Uh, Verses 1 through 2, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. I'm like, okay, fast food. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're just walking along, grinding on some grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they couldn't believe what they were saying. Look! They sound like a group of like grade school kids like tattling to the teacher. Look! Your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Punish them! And Jesus is like, oh my gosh. Have you never read the scriptures about David? Who ate the showbread? And he like graciously like leads them back to the scriptures and he's like, you know, you guys talk about the law, but you all are lawbreakers by your very traditions. Well, that Saturday, they continued through the grain fields, and wherever that exchange, that altercation went between the Pharisees and the disciples, they make their way into a synagogue, and this is crazy. Going on from that place, in verse 9 of chapter 12, he went into their synagogue. <laughs> That's weird their synagogue. It should say his synagogue, like Jesus' synagogue. Anyway, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And so here's this poor man who literally has had a deformity maybe his whole life. No mercy, no grace, no love. They put him in front of everybody and humiliate him. And just use him as a mechanism to accuse Jesus of sin. 
is it lawful to heal? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Well, yeah, of course. If I have a sheep, it falls in a hole, I'm going to go get it out. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, talk about restoring this man, not just physically, but in front of the community. This man has value to me. Stretch out your hand. So he outstretched it, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. This is a miraculous creative healing. Like, literally, everything began to form, and muscles stretch, and bones, and all of a sudden, he had two working, like, perfectly good hands. Like, if I witnessed that, I'd be like, oh, Jesus. But when the Pharisees saw it, all they could think was, let's kill him. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Family, tradition is deadly. Some of our historical traditions can literally be spiritually deadly. It can kill our spiritual life. I mean, think of some of the insane traditions that we've kind of like passed down over the years, like uh, good Christians don't dance. Now, okay, so here's the deal. Doesn't, good Christians dance. It doesn't mean we dance well, but dude, think about David. Like when the ark was coming in, he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you should dance. Have you ever seen a little child just like and there's, why are you doing that? I don't know, I'm just so happy. But all of a sudden, we become adults, and we're like, oh no, I'm really happy right now. I'm really moved by this worship. I'm like, you forgot how to be a child of the living God. Or maybe you've never known that you're safe to be a child before God. How about this? Good Christians don't smoke. And I'm like, well, yeah, smoking's bad for your health. But I always find it fascinating. The person saying that's like, oh, yeah, you, you shouldn't smoke. It's ungodly. I will take a Big Mac, uh, large fry. Oh, two pies for a dollar? Of course, throw in two apple pies. I can't believe those people smoke. Well, good Christians don't drink. And I look at that, I'm like, well, I shouldn't drink. Because I have this wonderful gift that just basically turns on and doesn't turn off. So I don't drink. But I tell you, there are great Christians who enjoy a glass of wine to the glory of God. How about this? Um, good Christians don't play cards or go to the movies or use instruments. Some of us grew up in traditions where you couldn't use an instrument. Uh, raise hands in worship. Oh, no, we don't do that. How about wear shorts to church? By the way, I'm, I'm not pointing you out, you short wearers. I can't believe you wore shorts to church. Are there sinners here? <laughs> okay. 
Ladies, I love you. I'm just gonna, this is used, this really was a tradition that women don't wear pants to church. How many of you grew up with that? Hmm. Um, oh, you don't sing hymns? Uh, oh, you don't use the King James Bible. Uh, you can increase the list ad nauseum. And here's what's interesting. Like, we look at that and we're like, surely that's absurd. But we do very similar things. What, you don't study your Bible two hours a day? You're telling me you don't pray fervently for an hour every day? Oh. Here's what's crazy. We can study the Bible fervently, and we can pray fervently, and be no nearer the heart of God than when we started. And you're like, that's impossible. That's a Pharisee. A Pharisee prayed. A Pharisee read the scriptures. A Pharisee taught. And yet they were so far from their daddy's heart. Tradition and the legalism it breeds is deadly to true intimacy with Jesus. Listen to this. Trying to increase intimacy with Jesus through dry religious practices is like trying to fly by putting on a backpack of bricks and jumping off a roof. Now, I posted that on Facebook. Interesting, there was this sense of like, well, certainly you're not just saying that we can approach God's heart and the intimacy of the Lord's heart just as we are. I mean, what if people abuse grace? And I'm like, you don't know what grace is when you make that statement. You just don't. Because we're all grace abusers. But that's what's so wonderful about grace. There's no limit to it. There's no boundary markers on grace. I always find it fascinating. Like, we talk about grace. We're like, okay, here's the rock, and uh, here's the rock, and uh, here's the— You better stay on that little plot of dirt. And grace is like— I am saved by grace. I am loved by the king. I am free. I am free. I was in bondage. Now I'm alive. I am a child of the living God. I have been rescued and redeemed. Grace. Oh, grace. His kindness leads me to repentance. And when I draw near his heart, it's amazing how the things of this world just pale in comparison. And the things that I used to worship and the idols and the things I bow down to, today I'm like, why would I ever bow down to that when I can come into the presence of my Father in heaven? Through my Lord Jesus Christ, oh, Holy Spirit, fill me fresh. Oh, grace. Matthew 9, 14. Back to Matthew 9. See where my heart is right now. Oh no, I'm good. Then John's disciples came to him, and how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often? I was, that's just, oh, so funny, fast often, whoa. But your disciples do not fast, and Jesus tells them, why? Because it's time to party. Matthew 9, 15, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Well, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. See, Jesus illustrates the kingdom of God by using a wedding. And in this ancient setting, weddings were amazing. Like, so different than today. I know sometimes you go to a wedding, you're like, oh, I hope the service is short. The ceremony, I hope it's, oh gosh, oh, 
Chris is the one? Oh, man, he talks forever. <laughs> but it wasn't like that. Sometimes it would go on for weeks. And they partied, and they danced, and they ate, and they drank. And it was like this amazing party. I mean, could you imagine going to a party where everyone was fasting and weeping? <laughs> What's going on? I thought it was a wedding. Oh, I know it is, but we're just fasting and mourning. I'm like, what? That's how crazy it is. When Christians go around in this self-induced state of mourning and constant repentance for sins we've long since been forgiven of, and we're constantly beating ourselves up and beating others up. And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, come to the wedding. And he references a time. He's like, well, there will be fasting because there will be a time where I'm taken away. And it's violent. In verse 15, it's referencing a violent taking away. That is when Jesus is led to the cross. And yes, there was mourning. And there was weeping. And yes, there's still fasting. Like a part of our spiritual practices, a part of my spiritual practices are times of fasting, but it's not in mourning. I want you to look back in your Bibles, Matthew 6. And this is just an illustration of all spiritual practices. They all are supposed to lead us into greater intimacy. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 16 through 18, why do we fast? To increase intimacy. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Why are you so bummed out? Oh, I'm fasting to God right now. Jesus is like, ah, oh, that's not what that's about. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face and, and, and smile and have joy so that it's not obvious to others you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do you know what the reward is? Greater intimacy with your Father in heaven. In Jesus, even fasting is a feast. Greater intimacy with the Father and so Jesus turns to these disciples of John, and he's like, get out of your religious box. I have not come to restore dead religion. Matthew 9, 16, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will be pulled away from the garment, making the tear worse. Like, you don't take something, like, that's not shrunk, and you put it to something that's shrunk, and you, I've never sewn, I have no idea, I'm just assuming. But you don't sew it on there, and then expect that patch to stay, because it's going to shrink, and it's going to pull apart. And then Jesus references wineskins, and he's like, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. We don't use skins, we use bottles. But in this day, things, it was animal hides and skins, and, and they would get brittle. And if you put new wine in, it would expand because of the fermenting process. And he's like, you don't do that. Jesus has not come to revive the dead practices of Judaism or the dead practices of old-timey religion. Matthew 9, 17, Jesus says this, No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Family, Jesus is that new wine. The church, 
his wineskins, right? He pours his joy in it through the Holy Spirit. The person and presence of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are poured into our hearts and lives, and we are set free. And we're set free from the bondage of religion and the shackles of man-made tradition. We're set free from the lies of the enemy. Our identity is rooted not in other people's opinions of us, but rooted in our identity and who we are in Christ. We're set free from that little plot of dirt with four rocks. Right? Like, we literally have been made to climb the mountain peaks of grace, to run wild in the fields of his mercy, to ride those wild mustangs and take the gospel to the world. We are free to dance and to sing, to come into the heart of Father. Family, don't hide. Don't hide anymore. Don't hide anymore through religion. We are invited into intimacy. We are invited into relationship. And for some, that sounds scary. But that's where you discover the love that God has for you. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. And I personally thank you for your grace and your goodness. Uh, is your, your kindness, your goodness, Lord, that has won my heart. It has won the day. And uh, we rejoice in that. Fill us fresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with joy. Fill us with gratitude and thanksgiving and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Fill us with your love and your joy. Fill us to the full Holy Spirit. And we are full of your presence. So we'd be full. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning, as, as we will do going forward, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. If you are here today and, and you're just ready to, like, get out of the box of religion, like, you're ready. You're like, I'm, I don't want to do that anymore. And you're, you're, maybe you're ready and you're like, I need the joy of the Lord. I want to be freshly filled with his presence. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, I want to begin my relationship with Jesus. I want to invite him into my life. Or maybe you're just in need of healing. And maybe your marriage needs healing. Maybe your soul. I'm going to ask our elders, if you're available, come on down. Um, Pat, Gina, if you're available. Uh, and we're just going to be up here, and we're going to be ready to pray with you and for you. Um, just to let you know in advance, if I have the privilege of praying for you and over you, I will anoint you with oil. And there's a reason why I do that and why we do that, because the scriptures literally tell us to. And we will pray. And so uh, just allow the Spirit to move. We're going to sing together. If you feel so moved, come forward.
It's a new day dawning It's time to sing your song again Whatever may pass And whatever lies before me Let me be singing when the evening comes Bless the Lord, oh my soul Oh my soul Worship His hope
go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Now lavish that love on one another, and let's go rock the streets with the love of God. Have a wonderful week.